Oh, sci-fi fans, this is Clifton Collins Jr., and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. turning away from things I want to believe in. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh, God, oh, God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Did I fall asleep? For a little while. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, a place where we are geeking out on sci-fi, and we have got a really good show for you again, as always. Tonight, my name is Scott Herzog. And I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we're here to bring you the world of science fiction. Miles, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Scott. Um, I uh, had a chance to go up to New York City last weekend and visit a really cool comic store called Midtown Comics. I encourage anybody, if you go to New York City anytime soon, check it out. It's um, I'll get, We'll put the address in the show notes. Oh, yeah, we will have to put the address in the show notes. And not only that, but uh, you said you have some pictures you put on our Facebook page, right? I, I did. There's a really cool statue of, of uh, Spider-Man there. I got a picture with it. And uh, this is this this store is it's, – it's every sci-fi comic book's dream. It's two – you have two floors, every comic book, uh, memorabilia – just a really cool store. That's awesome. And uh, did you uh, pick up your copy of Trek, Miles? You know, I think I'm going to wait. Uh, put that on my Christmas wish list. Right. I did. I did actually buy through Amazon the uh, the Star Trek. I actually bought the Blu-ray, even though I don't have a Blu-ray player because I'm anticipating getting one either on Black Friday or uh, or for Christmas. I'm not sure depending on the price on Black Friday. I'm hoping to go out and grab one of those. And so I want it to be my first DVD experience on the Blu-ray. But I did also rent it from Netflix because I wanted to see it. And because I watch my DVDs when I run and I watch them on my iPhone when I uh, am on a treadmill, I burned it, you know, using Handbrake with my Mac and all, which usually works fine, except mm-hmm. that for some reason... They must, it must have been the encoding. I'm kind of mad at them for this because I did buy the DVD, right? It's not like I'm trying to pirate the thing. Um, of course. But the, when I burned it, it burned all the scenes out of order. <laughs> it was, That's it was, a nasty trick. It is a nasty trick. And so whatever. I'm not mad at them. They got to do what they got to do to copy protect their stuff. It just kind of mean. I realize that the Blu-ray, I think, comes with a digital version. Version? Virgin? Maybe a digital version too, but a digital version of it—that'd be a whole new movie, wouldn't it? No, it would. <laughs> but the—it uh, comes with the digital version of the movie, and I think I can put it on my uh, iPhone from that. There you go. So, so yeah. So I, either way, it's going to come out. I—I'll be able to to figure it out. But I did get it, and um, the other—the other movie I, I actually finished watching finally was uh, Wolverine. I loved it. It was great, great movie. <laughs> I thought you would. Yeah, I can't wait till the next one comes out. So other than that, of course, I've been keeping up with our shows. I'm not caught up with Sanctuary, not caught up with Heroes, although I understand this week was pretty good, but they didn't answer the questions like you thought they would. And um, other than that, great. Uh, you know, still watching all the same shows. Me too. Um, 
I, I still need to catch up on on um, on V and catch up on uh, Fringe. Although Heroes, I mean, yes, Heroes was good. It, what I liked about it, it moved the story along. I mean, uh, the pacing has been getting kind of slow, but this this moved it along more, which it really needed. So, so you felt uh, you felt it pick back up then. Yeah, it picked up the pace more, which it which it desperately needed to do. Well, good, good. Well, that's good to hear. I can't wait to watch it. Don't know when I'm going to hit that. I'm probably going to hit Fringe tomorrow morning, and uh, uh, because I do a segment, I do a segment on the show Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan, and so I call in. I do a Fringe quote of the week, so they get their episodes out like on Friday later in the day. So I try to get it done in the morning when I wake up. So we'll see. That's my at least, at least my goal. So I have to watch out when I feel obligated to do that. But I love doing it. Don't get me wrong. And they actually, this fringe this week is the Observer episode, probably airing as we're recording this, as you know. But it's all about the observers. So totally got to watch it. So you got to get caught up. I will. Yeah. Um, uh, wife and I are still uh, loving uh, Stargate uh, Universe. Um, I don't know if you saw last Friday's episode, oh, it but was uh, great. It was, it, good. it was good. It was good. I, I'm continuing to enjoy that show. V, I'm continuing to be impressed with. I love V. So, mm-hmm. Anyways, on tonight's science fiction podcast, we are going to talk about the shows we've been watching, like we just did, and the upcoming Battlestar Galactica prequel, Caprica, which we're excited about. The made-for-TV Smallville movie. Oh, you didn't know about that? It's really two episodes crammed into one, but it's going to be really good from what we've been reading about it. And we're also going to share our review of 2012, and lastly, we're going to give you our thoughts on the Farscape mega set. So it's going to be really good. We got a great show. Yeah, definitely. Before we hop into our trivia this week, which we are going to be picking back up on doing, we have some show news for you. We want to put out a couple shout outs, a couple thanks to people. We think especially to Subspace Communique for pimping their art. Our Trek DVD release show, which was our last show last week. Also for DVD Geeks, we're also plugging the same podcast that we did, of course, with Mary the Televixen. And uh, be listening this week. We're going to do a little segment on Farscape on their show. And uh, and uh, maybe you can, um, you know, give some positive feedback for that or something. Whatever. But these are, we want to thank those people, especially for kind of uh, pimping us. As always, uh, check out our site. We have tons of stuff going on on the Sci Fi Diner podcast site and also our Facebook fan page. And uh, you can subscribe there. And uh, we're updating that with news stories. Miles is uploading photos. And there's a lot of activity that goes on there. And, anyways, Miles, before I stumble too much into my talk, why don't you go ahead and give us the trivia question for this week? All right, we're back with the trivia, and in last week's Smallville episode, name the actress who played one of the Wonder Twins, and what show was she coming back to when it returns on Sci-Fi Channel in the summer? Miles, what are they going to win? All right, um, they will get a uh, a signed autographed picture of Clifton Collins. He played uh, I.L. in the new Star Trek movie. Uh, he, he was the Romulan uh, second-in-command. Right, Nero's second-in-command in that movie. The reason we're giving this away this week is because our interview this week, I actually forgot to mention who our interview is. The reason we're giving this away, of course, is because we are interviewing Clifton Collins himself, and uh, you'll hear him talk about Star Trek and some of the other stuff he's done, but we're giving away the sign print uh, for you to have. And if you know the answer, you can call us at 1-888-508-4343. You can email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. Our contact is at sci-fi diner on Twitter with your answers. All of those ways, we'll get the answers to us, and we'll put your name into a drawing, and we will pull it out of a hat, and whoever wins, wins. All answers are due by December 2nd, 
So it's two weeks from now. You get two weeks because I probably should have mentioned this earlier. We are taking a two-week break because of Thanksgiving, and we'll be back after Thanksgiving to continue with our sci-fi news, interviews, and everything else that we talk about on the show. That's about it. Why don't we move into our promo for this week? We have two promos. The first, the first promo you'll be hearing is from the Aussie Geek podcast with David Gray. And you're going to be hearing him a little bit later on because he's going to be helping me give a review on 2012. Uh, but go listen to the promo. And if you get a chance, check out their podcast. They talk about some real cool geeky stuff. And the best thing about it is you get to hear it in an Australian accent. The Aussie Geek Podcast brings you the best from the world of technology. Each week, Dave, Kate, and Keith, the token Canadian, bring you the highlights from the week's technology news, along with great software finds and the best of the web. The geeks are joined by friends of the show who bring their own unique and global perspectives on the world of technology and the way we live in it. Join us each week for the Aussie Geek Podcast. Subscribe today in iTunes or visit us at AussieGeekPodcast.com. The Aussie Geek Podcast. Bloody awesome tech. All right, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. We are going to move into our 10, 10, and 10. This week is not going to exactly be that. We're going to talk about a lot of TV news. We're going to take about 10, 15 minutes to talk about the 2012 review on what we thought of 2012 coming out, the blockbuster movie they supposedly said it was. And we're also going to talk about the Farscape Megaset. So that's going to be our TV, TV, our movie, our DVD news for tonight. So, Miles, why don't you get us started on our TV news tonight? Okay, something I'm really excited for. Oh, me uh, too. Exclusive first look, uh, Battlestar uh, prequel Caprica uh, retools, reduces, and ready itself for uh, January debut. Uh, Caprica uh, arrives on Sci-Fi January 22nd, and in anticipation of the premiere, the network has released this poster for the show exclusively to the Watcher site. The image at right, which features the Caprica character uh, Zoe uh, Greystone, uh, Alessandra Torresani, if I'm pronouncing her last name right, is so. the key, key art for the new series. Now, let's just stop. Did you take a look at that picture? I did, yes. Oh, man. It's, it's hot. Um, it, <laughs> Pretty she, sexy. She, she is not hard on the eye. That That is for sure. That is for sure. So I was we'll, – we'll try and throw that up in our show notes. But uh, excellent, excellent picture. you got to check it out. Anyways, go on. Didn't mean to interrupt. I just had to talk about that. Well, uh, there's something really interesting about the, the idea of Zoe and Eve metaphor, said Mark Stern, uh, executive price president, excuse me, executive vice president of the original content for sci-fi and co-head of uh, Universal Cable Productions in an interview on Thursday. Caprica, which serves as a prequel to Battlestar Galactica and tells the story of the invention of the mechanized Cylons, deals with our relationship to technology and the question of when is too much knowledge a bad thing? Knowledge and technology can turn against you and can be a dangerous can be dangerous weapons, Stern said. He noted there were many internal discussions at Sci-Fi about the signature image for the new series, which stars Eric Stoltz, S.A. Morales, Polly Walker, uh, Paula Malcolmson. But uh, Stern and other executives realized all the debate was a good thing. That's the point of the show, he said. Like Battlestar, the show doesn't take one pic- particular stand. It starts a discussion. That's true of Caprica, too. What we love about this image, he said, invites many different points of view or opinions, and they're all valid. The series will premiere with a two-hour pilot that is already available as a standalone DVD. 
eight additional hours of uh, Capricorn will air through March. Then the show will take a break, and the remaining nine hours of Capricorn's first season will air sometime in the second half of 2010. So, Miles, what sticks out to you in this article as you kind of uh, read through the, as you just read through this news here? What are you excited well, about? Um, I'm excited um, they're going to be delving into the beginning of the Cylons. Um, that and um, just how they evolved and then how they um, eventually became humanity's uh, uh, enemy. Um, so that was always interesting in the in, in the Battlestar Galactica series. They, they made allusions to that uh, during the show, but now we'll actually get to see it. Yeah, that is, and that is cool. I think the other thing that I'm really looking forward to, well, actually two things, if I can share those. The, the first thing is I like the fact that they're saying that they're, this is a show that, like Battlestar, they don't take one particular stand. They start a discussion. And I love that about Battlestar is so they brought up an issue, and they've kind of painted all sides of it, but they didn't necessarily come down saying this is what we believe. And they allowed us as listeners or watchers of the show, I guess, to kind of talk about this and debate this out. And I love that. And so I'm glad that that's the direction at least they're trying to head. Yeah, I, I like that they'll make you think, but they won't necessarily tell you what what side you should um, choose. I, I remember what, what Richard Hatch said in that interview we did with him. He said, uh, great something about great teacher or teachers don't make make you i don't know choose a side but they um they challenge you um they give i forget how, how i said but uh, he, he said it really well in the interview um about um not making you choose which position but making you think about the the topic at hand. Yeah. And I, I was actually just before you said, that, I was going to reference the same quote. So it made me think of that too. And, uh, when I kind of read that, I also like the question of when is too much knowledge, a bad thing, knowledge and technology can turn against you and is a dangerous weapon. And I thought, I guess maybe this is the other thing about what Richard Hatch had said in that interview was the fact of science fiction always comments in current society. And I think we're in a, we're in a place in society right now where technology is moving at such a rapid pace that we are doing, we're, we're, very few of us are stepping back and saying, is this all good? What's the potential danger in this? How can it harm us? Are we just giving up our privacy too freely? I mean, there's a lot of questions that comes with the technology that's being thrown at us, you know, and it's just escalated in the past 10 years, you know? It's a valid question. Uh, I'm reminded of the last episode of Battlestar where uh, Leah Dama says, uh, you know, it takes, you know, what, what happens is our, our hearts take too long to catch up with our minds and about about the, their decision to abandon all their technology and of course the the haunting image in the end of at the end of battle stars of course humanity our current society having the cylons you know right the the first prototypes of them are a different form of it but anyways looking forward to it i'm excited about it they are definitely gonna have to tone down that uh that that hour and a half or two hour premiere as far as the nudity goes i would imagine for the sci-fi channel unless sci-fi is going to start pushing boundaries but I think they're going to have to try to make at least, uh, you know, the, you're right. They're going to have to tone it down. Um, th there's some things that, that the censors are just not going to uh, let fly. Yeah, all the boobage and all that going on. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so that's Caprica. We're excited about it. Can't wait. January 22nd, 2010. So we're looking forward to that. I do have the right date, right? 
All right. Okay, good. Uh, Smallville TV news. Smallville, there's a TV movie in the works, and this is a movie that if you've liked the Justice League episodes of Smallville, you won't want to miss. CW has decided to package Smallville's upcoming and highly anticipated Justice Society-themed two-parter in a two-hour movie event airing February 5th. So set your DVRs if you can send them that far ahead. The Jeff Johns penned episodes titled Society and Legends featuring DC Comics stalwarts such as Stargirl, Hawkman, Dr. Fate were originally designed air separately. But according to Smallville insiders, CW execs felt they could get more mileage out of combining them. And I think they are probably right. Uh, this is a very smart decision on on the CW's part. Uh, the, the fans of Smallville want to see something focusing on the Justice League. Yeah. Now, do we know who Stargirl is or Dr. Fate? I know that Hawkman is uh, Michael Shanks because I know it because I follow it from Stargate. But I thought we had heard maybe about Dr. Fate, but I don't remember. Yeah, I'm not sure who who is playing Stargirl and Dr. Fate. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, check it out. It's uh, coming up. Let's move into our science fiction film news. Uh, and this is going to be an interview that it's not really an interview. Dave Gray from the Aussie Geek Podcast and I are going to be talking about 2012, which, Miles, you have not seen yet, right? No, I haven't. So you will want to skip. No, we, we actually don't give out too many spoilers, but we give our thoughts on the movie. It's an interview you won't want to miss. And if you want to catch Dave Gray on any of his podcasts, he runs a podcast called the Aussie Geek Podcast. He's also a part of a podcast called Podcasters Emporium and also does one called Two Schooners. And they are excellent podcasts. you got to check them out. So uh, without further ado, here's our review of 2012. This mass suicide adhered to the Mayan calendar, which predicts the end of time to occur on the 21st of December of this year. This year. This year. What are the odds? is building these ships. So when do we let the people know? Our mission is to assure the continuity of our species. Wasn't it also decided the people have the right to fight for their lives? No matter what happens, we'll all stay together. Find out the truth. Search 2012. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. With me is none other than David Gray, the rooster from Aussie Land. How you doing? Hey, g'day, Scott. How you going? Go easy on the rooster, mate. Oh, you can call me oh, Dave. Is that a secret? I shouldn't no, tell no it's, not, it's, not, it's not that it's a secret. It's just like, you know, it's, it's like a handle. It's not, you know, people don't walk around calling me the rooster. <laughs> oh, well, you know, but, anytime but I, I think of you, I think... 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the branding thing and it's the Twitter thing, but you know. I, I, right, when, no, when, I, when I was talking to you, I thought, now what's his first name again? Because you're Herzog, so. Right, right, right. Well, that's what, <laughs> but I'd have to play in. My first name is Scott, so yeah. that kind of works. Oh, okay, Anyways, Scott, uh, I promise. So you, you, do, uh, you do a couple podcasts of your own. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it before we get into our topic? Yeah, sure. I, I'm a founder and co host of Aussie Geek podcast which you can find at aussiegeekpodcast.com i also do another show called podcasters emporium at podcastersemporium.com and that's a show about podcasting and uh, making your show better and i also do another comedy podcast called two schooners which is not safe for work in case you happen to land there and you can find that of your own accord because you'll find it through the other links but uh yeah a uh, bit of fun and uh generally love the medium love getting involved and it's a pleasure to be on your show scott Oh, well, thank you. And I actually love your shows. I listen, the two that I listen to regularly are Podcasters Emporium and Two Schooners. Ah. Absolutely. They're great shows. Excellent. So, um, all right. Well, we're here to talk about 2012, which uh, you saw last week and I saw last week. And I uh, yeah. want to get some of your initial thoughts of it, and I can kind of bounce off of that with my initial thoughts. Sure. Uh, so you walk into the theater. What did you, what were you, what were you expecting when you went to the theater when you saw this? Yeah, I I saw the shorts. The thing that motivated me to see the show, like, I love science fiction, period. Like, if it's science fiction or if it's in any way futuristic, big, uh, you know, big movies, you know, those big movies, uh, I I'm all in boots and all. I want to see it at the cinema. I want to I sit there in the middle row, in the middle of the theatre and, and enjoy all of it. So I went into the theatre with very, very high hopes, um, high expectations. Uh, I, I wasn't... On one hand, I wasn't disappointed, but on another one, I sort of felt a bit wanting. I, I, I don't know what you felt. I, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, hands down, 2012 delivers when you, if you want to talk if, about the ride, you know, about getting into, getting into a, a, a car, going for a breakneck ride, 2012 delivers from start to finish. If you're looking for depth, if you're looking for character plot, character and plot development, I think it was crap. Uh, that's yeah, <laughs> you know, and and, and that's yeah. and that's disappointing because I don't know that I go to the movies for the ride. You, you know, I, I go to be entertained and I want that ride, but unless I have a connection with the people that are that are on that journey, then it kind of lessens the ride. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, and I and I would agree that this movie certainly delivered on the ride. In fact, I was I was went with my wife, and we're sitting there, and the entire mm. time I'm tense because I'm so engaged. It's like two hours of nonstop seeing the world destroyed, seeing this piece of the you know, the land slide into the Atlantic, and you know, seeing this building destroyed, and mm. you're seeing them barely escape, you know, near death and destruction, and you know, two hours of that, and it, which is all fine and good. But I agree that one of the things that I would have said, no connection to the characters. Do I really care where these characters live or die in the long run? Yeah. Other than the plot, or the, the so-called plot. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. could call it that. I mean, I mean, the things, um, I mean, you know, I mean, and the, ah, oh, geez, the characters themselves were pretty, pretty lame. I mean, just, you know, I mean, John Cusack was, he was okay. Amanda Pete was one of the worst turnouts for the movie. She played the, the, ex-love interest of the main, of one of the main characters. And she was just utterly pathetic, trampsing around the Himalayas in a bloody nightdress. Scott, that just did it for me. I just thought, oh, this is just too much. 
Uh, <laughs> she, um, the, the, without a doubt, the standout performance was from Woody Harrelson playing Charlie Frost. And uh, for those people that haven't haven't seen the movie, uh, I won't spoil it for you. But suffice to say, he's the mad nutter that got it all right. And uh, I don't know about you, Scott. Did you enjoy Woody's performance? Oh, he was great. He, you know, he he was such comic relief in the midst of a movie where you have this. Uh, tension and it was such a lighthearted look at the destruction yeah. and when everyone else is intense yeah. uh it was practically the only comedy that you had uh, oh yeah but did you did you get the chook the chicken the what the chicken did you catch the chicken joke no I oh well, maybe man you've got to re-watch it and watch the chicken I joke do now for those people <laughs> that are going to go and see 2012 be on the lookout for an old lady an old chinese lady about to cut the head off a chook. It, oh yes, yes. Classic. I that was that. very subtle humor, and it was it was brilliant. But you notice, you notice, Scott, how we're making connections to things that, you know, they're not really the main characters. I wouldn't say Woody's character is a main character. I mean, he was because he played such a standout performance. But I mean, the main characters. I mean, I didn't give a shit whether. You know, Jackson Curtis's kids lived or died. I didn't care about his ex-wife. I certainly didn't mourn when the other guy flipped it. Uh, you know, I wanted to get to know these characters. I wanted to have an affiliation. I wanted to feel for these characters and their journey. And that just was really lacking. So that was a disappointment. There is no question in my mind that this movie 100% delivers on the CGI. The CGI will blow your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah, it's pretty amazing. And there's none of that. It doesn't. There's not a lot of cheesy side. This is, when you think CGI, you think of a lot of uh, yeah. when they when a movie's all that. That something in there is going to be cheesy. And I didn't really ca I really didn't pick up on that. Not that it may not be there, but this was a well-made. A lot of money went into the CGI Ooh, yeah. of this movie, no doubt. Yeah, uh, and you I mean, know the, yeah. Sorry. No. What did you think of of the guy that played Adrian Helmsley? The uh, man. I don't. I'm going to put his name. Chiwetel Ejiofor. I don't know. Do you, do you know? I, no, yeah, totally yeah. I, I'm seeing his name here. You know, that was a that was a geologist guy, right? Yeah, he was the he was the the uh, the the black man making playing the geologist. Yeah, I, he was okay. I mean, he was certainly better than than Amanda Peet. <laughs> <laughs> That's not saying too much. Yeah, huh? no, no. You know, the uh, I saw him. He was in the movie. Did you ever watch any of the Firefly TV series or the movie Serenity that came out? I, I saw Serenity. Uh, I I didn't think much of it. Well, he was the he was the evil guy in Serenity. Ah, the there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yeah. So that was when I, every time I saw him, I kept thinking him because he's the only thing. It's the only thing I've ever seen him in. Not right. that he hasn't done other stuff. That's yeah, the only thing. Yeah. And what do you think of Danny Glover? Uh, Danny Glover is the the president, Thomas Wilson. He, he, I mean, Danny's a great actor. There's no question in my mind that anything he puts his hand to, he does well. I think he played the role well. And out of out of a lot of the characters, you certainly made a connection with with his character. Uh, having, uh, you know, his wife's story, his daughter's story, his own story of self-sacrifice, and y you built up a relationship with him in a roundabout sort of way, but you were still left having to join the dots on what that meant for that character. And, yeah. um, you know, I mean, we've dealt a bit on character and plot, uh, character development, Scott, but the other thing that, that I really wanted to know more about was the the scientific story behind it. I wanted there to be more substance in the science. Did you feel a bit like that? Yeah, well, the, uh, 
man, I'm not sure this, the, the movie really was about the science, just the fact that it was happening. I mean, they talk about the Earth's core melting, and because of that, these mm. plates are kind of shifting top of this whole molten uh, core thing. But, yeah. you know, it is kind of, it's, it's kind of far-fetched scientifically, I think. And uh, the idea I, of neutrinos I, doing this, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, science, I, I, so I didn't. I didn't mind. I didn't mind the fact that it was loose science. I, I mean, I'm all in favour of loose science. I mean, it, um, I can't remember that movie. There was a really good movie done where these guys flew to the sun and they got really close. And I can't remember what it was called. Um, but uh, I mean, that was very loose science. But I, I don't mind rubbery science as long as you can sort of build a convincing case around it. And they could have really developed it a bit more. I was a bit disappointed when the only thing you learnt about the science or the prediction, whether it be the science or the folklore behind what was happening, the only th sort of substance you got was tidbits from the geologist and a animated homemade movie from Woody. So I, I'm trying <laughs> Which not was to... was hilarious. It was great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> standout performance without a doubt, even, even as a character, even as a cartoon character. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just reminded of how he <laughs> described this thing. I did it on the cheek. Right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just, you know, they could have just been that little bit more there. Uh, you know, they, I mean, no, I mean, without falling into the trap of making it three hours long, I guess, Scott, I mean, that's the thing. Was there too much CGI? You know, there, I, I will tell you that there came a point about an hour in, I said, okay, how much more can I see another building destroyed? Yeah. How much more can I see this piece of landmass slide into the ocean, yeah. see another tidal wave come? I, d I did wonder at a point, did we go? Did he go a bit too far uh, with it? Not that I didn't enjoy it, but did it go a bit too far? I mean, one of the plot devices they did again and again, I mean, how often, how, ma how many times can John Cusack run from an opening fissure in the ground? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's just chasing it. Yeah, I mean, uh, like the opening sequence. Keep, mm. Right. Right, so that happens. He's driving away in a car, and it happens. Yeah. Uh, two or three times in a plane, it happens. Yeah. You know, he barely escapes his life. I said, okay, you're kind of beating this whole motif or trope, whatever the hell you want to call it, to death. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I felt a little bit like that myself. I'm pleased you felt like that because I thought, oh, come on. Come on, they'd be hit <laughs> by a rogue volcano any second now. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think... There is this danger, I think, with science fiction that we start to rely too heavily on the CGI to create the ride and we forget about the other stuff that connects people with the movie they're watching that make people fall in love with a movie. Let me let me use this example, Scott. Uh, Armageddon. You know, how much... Right, right. Great movie. One of my favourite all-time movies. And The Matrix, but we're not going to go there. That's far too complex for now. But if you look at Armageddon... <laughs> Favorite movie of all time. Anyway, uh, Armageddon, it, it would be up there in my top five. And the thing that stands out, Armageddon was absolutely laden with CGI. It's much better now, but it was laden with CGI. But I tell you what it did do. It connected you with the characters that played. You know, you knew every single character's story. You know, where he come from. You knew what motivated him. You know, why you fell in love with each character for a different reason. Or you hated one for another. And I can't, you know, the, the end of the movie where, the, where, where his daughter's watching him on the screen and he's crying, she, she's crying, and, you know, you, you, I just remember the first time I saw that movie. It's the, it's the things like that that connect you with the movie. The CGI is topping. The CGI is, uh, is whipped cream on the top of your lamington. It, it, it 
adds to what you're watching. And I think we're heading into dangerous territory when you look at the, you know, movies like The, the, the Day After Tomorrow, um, you know, Deep Impact, um, you know, and this one, the, these cataclysmic movies that come along, we could fall into this trap of relying too heavily on creating the ride without actually connecting our audience with our actor. Yeah, we know, and I would agree with that. And I would agree that Armageddon did it well. When those actors mm. died at the end, when those characters died at the mm. end, you felt a loss. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even though you might not want to admit it because you know of your manliness, it, yeah. there, there's, there were guys that had tears at that part. Yeah. Because it really is, it really is a tear-jerking movie. Yeah. Uh, it's, and, it's and, and talk about a movie that both guys, both guys and gals can enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. It was a movie that really worked at that, yeah, at that I, level. It wasn't. Yeah. So. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree with you. And, However, and, and, sorry, this sorry. Movie, and this and this movie did not do that. No, no, this movie did not do that. But I think I'll stand by my original assessment. If you want to strap in, put your seatbelt on, hold your breath, and go for a great ride, 2012 delivers hands down. It, it, the CGI is exceptional. The soundtrack is great, especially if you're in one of those new fandangled theaters. Uh, if you're looking for plot development and character development, I think you're going to be disappointed, Scott. Right. And that's what I tell people. I said, if you are looking for something with some plot, you may want to just put this as a rental if you want to rent yeah. it rather than seeing it. But you're going to, you're definitely going to lose something by seeing the world destroyed on a, you're seeing it on a small screen versus a big screen. There is something about the, ma oh, the yeah. magnitude of that. Yeah. The magnitude, I think you can't get that unless you're at the movie, at the, at the cinema, you know. I think you need that grand scale to, to be able to, uh, the size of the screen, to be able to fully appreciate just how much effort and and the the attention to detail in the CGI is mind blowing too, Scott. Did you so I really pity the CGI art, CGI artists that had to render all of those individual little glass fragments falling when the two buildings crash together. It's just that eye for detail and that attention to detail, and it really shows in this movie, Scott. The water rendering again is phenomenally awesome. Uh, I thought, you know, how you said before about the cheesy bit, right? Okay, so yeah. I, I thought the one thing that I thought was a little cheesy, and I'm not going to describe the scene because I think that might give something away about the movie because it's kind of not what you expect in a small way. But when they actually zoom out and they show the two ships, you know, you sort of, they don't look quite right. Oh, yeah. That was that was a smidge yeah. cheesy. A smidge, a smidge. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah and I admit, you know, the... the you, yeah, you're talking about uh, their, uh, where all the humans are running to there at the end, yeah. and it's a, it's a uh, yeah. it does pull out, it does, those those things do, without giving too much away, as you yeah, said, yeah, those yeah. things do feel a bit bit cheesy. And a, a smidge. You'll uh, see what we mean if you watch it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only a smidge. And it wasn't terrible, it wasn't terrible, no, no, no. It, didn't, it didn't pull me out of the movie or anything. No, but. no, no, not terrible, grab the, the, the eat and popcorn bucket and throw your lunch into it. It was just, right. eh, come on, guys. That's just, I, I, I just <laughs> felt a little cliche. Just a very small yeah. smidge. But uh, I, yeah. I look, on the whole, Scott, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. But I, and I you felt... Rate it, how, would you, how would you have rated this movie? If you were giving it like a five-star rating. Five-star rating? I think I'd rate it a three and a half. Three and a yeah, half. You know what? That's four. what I was telling people. Yeah. Three and a half. Yeah. You know, but in our, 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 if you're doing it like an, you know, an A through F, it was probably like a C plus, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So a, a C plus to a B for yeah, C plus yeah. is good. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree with you, and I'll definitely stick to my three and a half star rating. Uh, absolutely, uh, genuinely, will blow you away. 
but leaves you feeling a little half empty rather than half full. Well, thanks, Dave, for uh, coming on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast and talking about 2012 and your impression with it. Uh, again, where can they find you if they want to get a hold of you, find your shows and stuff like that? I know we talked about your shows at the beginning, but uh, web, your website, Twitter, whatever sure, you want to pimp here. Sure, You can catch me on the Aussie Geek podcast, which you can find at AussieGeekPodcast.com. That's usually got links to everywhere else you can find me, but one of the other places you can find me on a regular basis is Twitter. You can find me, as Scott so rightly said, the underscore rooster on Twitter. And uh, please befriend me and tell me where you heard me, and I'll be happy to add you as a follower and friend. And I look forward to hearing from you. And, uh, Scott, I've really enjoyed the show, and I've enjoyed coming on it, and uh, it's been a pleasure. All right, we're back. We hope you enjoyed our little review there of 2012. If you get a chance, check it out. Check it out. We got some exciting sci-fi DVD news for you, especially if you are diehard sci-fi fans. You will want to hear this. Now, if you can't wait for sci-fi.com to release the upcoming Farscape webisodes, prepare for Starburst. The Sci-Fi Diner podcast is here to tell you why the Farscape mega set is one set, Farscape, Stargate, SG-1, and any sci-fi fan won't want to miss. In case you forgot, we're living under a rock or never heard of this late 90s show. Here's the recap. Okay, John Crichton. He's the astronaut flung through a wormhole and lost in a galaxy far from home. He finds himself in the middle of a prison break, surrounded by hostile aliens soaring through space inside a glorious living spaceship called Moya. Hunted by the relentless peacekeepers, he allies himself with his unimaginably alien fellow refugees and searches for a way home. So begins the epic sci-fi classic Farscape, a fusion of live-action, state-of-the-art puppetry, prosthetics, and CGI. Farscape features mind-boggling alien life forms, dazzling special effects, edge-of-your-seat thrills, irreverent humor, and unforgettable characters, all brought to life by the creative minds at Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Yeah, Jim Henson involved. No wonder it's been called the most imaginative sci-fi series in television history, and it was quite imaginative. We love this show. I watched. Uh, I haven't watched. Didn't watch all four seasons, but the seasons I did get a chance to watch, I absolutely loved. And why would I say a Stargate fan would love this? Well, Claudia Black and Ben Browder are in this. One of the two leads who helped Stargate SG One go through its final seasons, and they played central characters on that show. And of course, they were central characters to Farscape. For diehards, we're going to give you some highlights that you're going to find in the mega set make you want to spend the 100 bucks to find this mega set and to buy it. Not only do you get to see Ben Browder, Claudia Black, Anthony Simcoe, Virginia Hay, and many other that grace a small screen again, but through the 29-episode commentaries, you get to hear their thoughts and perspectives as well as those of the writers. Other special DVD features, uh, multiple, multiple featurettes. The one I'm looking forward to is Inside Farscape the save far- Farscape in which fans, cast, and crew discuss the fate of their beloved series. And that's kind of cool. It's almost, it's almost like a retrospect look at, look back at uh, Farscape, you know, after how they tried to save the show and, you know, what it was like being there. I like that sort of stuff. Do you? Oh, me too. I mean, that's just reminiscent of Firefly and Star Trek. Yeah, all, all uh, the way. Uh, multiple video profiles featuring mm-hmm. archival uh, clips, cast and crew discussing their characters and roles on Farscape, over 90 minutes of deleted scenes, behind-the-scenes interviews with the cast, much more than we could tell you here. 
You know, and you can there when you buy this twenty five discs. Now twenty five discs for a hundred bucks is really not a bad deal. So if you got a hundred bucks in your pocket and four thousand eighty six minutes to burn, that's sixty eight hours for you math wizards. Or if you have to get a geek in your life something for Christmas, you just have to pick up this set. Now Miles, uh, is this a set you would want to see? Um, potentially, yes, I would. You know, it's a I. You know, one of the things that I, we talked about this a, a few shows ago. I leapt into Farscape once it hit DVD. I never saw it in television. I actually hit. Um, I actually started watching the second season because the first season was not available, and it always bugged me because I felt I missed out on you know the history of John Crichton and how he got into Farscape, or how he got to where he's at to the Moya and, uh, and and all that sort of thing. And huh, I'm really glad they're releasing this. I don't know if I'll buy it right away, but it's definitely one I'll probably rent and try to work my way through the series again. Yeah, I'm probably the same way. I mean, here's the deal. If you're into sci-fi and you talk about the series that have impacted the, the, the 90s and 2000, Farscape comes up as one of those series that has a, that had a huge impact and was a really popular series and has had, has had a, such a cult following. Yeah, very loyal following of fans. That's, that's, that's the great thing about sci-fi is uh, we get behind our shows yeah. and we'll fight, we'll fight for them. If there's any chance, we're going to try to cancel them. Yeah, absolutely. And you can buy this uh, DVD set if you're interested for Christmas through the MySciFiStore.com my and uh, it, you'll help us out in the way. And plus, save yourself a few bucks. I think the entire thing retails for 150 bucks, but I think Amazon has it for about 104 bucks. So that's, that's a good just, deal. That's yeah, you're saving 50 bucks. That's a what is that? 33 percent savings. So it's totally yeah, good. yeah, it's a good deal. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break where we're going to you know share a promo from again Dave Gray, one of his other shows, The Podcasters Emporium. This is a podcaster. Uh, this is a podcast. If you're interested in becoming a podcaster. You got to check it out. They have some lots of good information and some great stuff there. G'day, I'm Dave Gray. Are you a new show or a relatively new show that's trying to make your podcast sound great? Then you need to listen to Podcasters Emporium, a podcast that's by podcasters for podcasters. We'd be happy for you to join our community and be a part of what we call Podcasters Emporium. Join myself and James Williams as we explore podcasting and all its greatness. You can check out the show at podcastersemporium.com. are excited to bring you this interview, this totally Star Trek interview with Clifton Collins. Miles, do you remember interviewing him? I did, and it was a fun interview. Uh, uh, Clifton was really was really cool towards us, um, and uh, th I think this is one of his first sci-fi conventions, and it's always interesting to see how he uh, he took it all in. Um, um, yeah, I don't but, think I don't think until Trek he did a lot of sci-fi. I, I don't. I think this is one of his first sci-fi projects. So yeah. that. that um, now he did. So, yeah. He grew up watching Trek. I know. I know he saw Trek, and I know he saw Star Wars and some of that. But this seemed to be the first experience in this sort of uh, convention. So it was great just to kind of sit down and interview him and talk to him about who he was. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a very serious actor. I mean, um, while there was some downtime, he was doing some research into his other other roles. He was uh, for his other projects. He was he was getting involved in. 
Yeah. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead. We'll bring you Clifton Collins. Wow, this almost looks like one of my... You know where to go. Behind the desk. You could use it like that. I, I could. Yeah. I know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you J.J. Go. Abrams taught me how to do that. Yeah. What was it like working with J.J.? J.J. Working with J.J. is amazing. He's such a, a generous, uh, caring individual, aside from being a, a passionate filmmaker. He does some great stuff, both for television and in and in the movie. It's true. Well, I did uh, Alias with him as well. Oh, you were an alias? Yeah, he wrote this character loosely based off of Frankie Flowers, the character from Traffic. Okay. Oh, very cool. Well, my name's Scott, and this Scott. is Miles. Scott Miles. Nice to meet you. We, we do a podcast called uh, The Sci-Fi Dining. Oh, I love so it. It's just, Sci-Fi uh, Dining, like yeah, the title. So it's, yeah, it's just... It's just, so uh, sweet. There you go. You get a business card out of the deal and everything. <laughs> but it, um, it just covers everything from sci-fi. So. Okay. So we heard you were here excited about that awesome. because, of course, the Trek movie's out, and that's what everyone's talking about right now. Are they still talking yeah, they, they, about they, it? Yeah. Here's yeah. the thing. That's we what were, I want to hear. Yep. <laughs> thing. We were kind of mad because Thank you. you really should have been able to kick Kirk's butt. Yeah. You did. And I understand. I'm with you there. I think I just I, got I a little... slighted a little bit. Yeah. Maybe teeny bit. If Kirk didn't get your gun, you would have been... Maybe if I was a smart Roman and I had it on safety... <laughs> you know, maybe like if I kept my clip separate from my gun. You know, there's a lot of different ways it could have got out of this one. I know. He was on the receiving end of a major ass whooping. He really was. A major ass whooping and a choking. Yeah, but but that's all something that came via collaboration with Robert Alonzo, who's one of the, the head stunt guys. Okay. Who'd been a friend of mine since high school, and we used to teach the karate club together. So when he found out I was doing that, he, he knew what I was very capable of doing, whether it's kicks or knife fighting or stick fighting or any of that stuff. So right away, he was like, man, because you should do a fight or something. I said, come on, Rob, let's do a fight. I'll, I'll do anything you want. You know what I can do. Spinning heel kicks, jumping, crashing, whatever you want. Right. So uh, they told JJ, and then JJ says, uh, so Clifton, uh, you, hear you, uh, you might want to fight. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> he says, great. I'm going to think about it. And he, JJ's a badass, man. He's a badass. He's a collaborator. He's just a lot of fun to work with. Uh-huh. And now, go ahead. Oh, just the whole Star Trek movie was a fun movie. I mean, the beginning of it. Um, I remember when you first appear after the Narada just beats the crap out of uh, the Kelvin. Uh-huh. We, we see you, you're the first guy it sees, but it, you almost sound kindly but ominous in your. Um, talking to the crew about send your captain over so we can negotiate uh, terms of surrender. It was just, uh, uh, it, was, it was cool. I, I, I liked your character. I'm just a kind, ominous dude, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't difficult for you to portray that character thing, what you're saying? Um, it was in the beginning because the grandeur of Star Trek didn't really hit me until I actually got to set. Like the sheer epicness. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like... Uh, you know, you wake up in a dream and you're like, oh, look, it's like Star Trek said. Oh, there's J.J. Abrams. Oh, he's telling me to look down the camera and tell the who? The Star Trek Enterprise. What? What am I doing? Star Trek for Paramount? Oh, I am. I am. I am. It was one of those moments. Like, I started sweating. My heart started racing. J.J. was like, yo, Cassie, I just need five seconds, man. I'm going to take a quick little walk, all right? And I just like, you're doing Star Trek. And I came back in a, 
knocked it out. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we all know what Star Trek is. Whether you're a fan or not, we all know who Spock is. We all know the... We all know the theme song. Right. That's just stuff you know. So it's, it's a... You know, you can't... It's a whole new Star Trek. It's like, in the sense of... It incorporates so many elements of the past and the history, and it's all stuff like, you know, all due respect to the other, the franchise of the films prior to this one, but uh, I don't, I think there's a lot of real, like almost, it's very believable, this new Star Trek, you know, like, you know, you look at even, you look at the the technology and the old Star Treks, and you can almost see how they're plastic or this or that, and they make funny noise. It doesn't, almost not really believable, especially as children it was, but as adults, no. So it's kind of why I think, you know, it's, uh, I, I started to watch those, and I, I realized that this wasn't the same Star Trek, and, and it wasn't helping me at all. I've never been in outer space. Where do I start? So I literally deferred to... Uh, JJ and you know Neville, who was one of the guys that created the Romulans, um, and really his his guidance and his direction. So he gave a lot of input into what it was like to be a Romulan. He certainly did because I mean, there's I think there's a lot of principles that are are, are consistent in, in piracy and in essence, you know the Romulans are, are a bit of pirates, you know what they do and how they act and you know um, so you know we kind of uh, we kind of ran with that kind of mentality. So it, uh, did you get to meet Spock then at all? Did I? Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, I mean, obviously the entire cast is wonderful, but just to hear Leonard Nimoy's voice, you know, as I was on like tying my Romulan lace, it's pretty phenomenal. You know, it's like even if you weren't a fan of Star Trek, you certainly would be. Uh, you know, maybe you were a fan of In Search of, the TV show he had. So. You know, I heard that voice, and I was like, I was like, right away, you, you just zapped into like a seven-year-old kid, you know. And you look up, and you see Spock sitting in a chair eating his mocha ice cream. You know, it's just like so surreal. It's really. How did it feel? They gave you the ears. I mean, the tattoos. They, they shaved your head. I mean, when you're in the costume. I mean, um, what did, I mean, what did you bring to the part? I mean, these Romulans were, they weren't like the Romulans we've seen in the movies or TV. These were more like a blue-collar Romulans that we saw. Talk to her on the phone because she came back to What was your, I mean, you see, they're, 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 they're blue-collar Romulans? That's, 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 that's in how that, I think that they're minors. Sure, and, and that's the, 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 um, the, the class that Johnny Cash sang for. Yeah. Blue collar, right, know, working right, man. Right, you know, right, right. that's why men in black, right. Romulan in black. Yeah, <laughs> and you were. It was, yeah. How long did it take to get into your get up? Um, on a good day, on a good average day, it was roughly two to two and a half hours, and then on, a, you know, some of the. This is a big thing. On some of the. Uh, Prison stuff. It was four and a half hours. Yeah. Which Oh, which is also fortunate. Because <laughs> now you got for all those that have watched Star Trek 15 times and got nothing new to look forward to, so they think there's gonna have something really amazing. Because I, I honestly forgot about it till uh, I don't know if it was Banner that reminded me or if it was a reporter. Somebody said something to me, and I, I almost thought it was a dream, like prison. You weren't. Like I do remember being in prison. 
It's Capote. No, I was a Romulan. Like I was going around like, oh my god, it's it's really epic. Capote was a good movie too. Thanks, buddy. I think that's one of the. Uh, I didn't see. I don't know what other ones you've been in. I remember you from Capote and obviously Star Trek that I most recently. And the reason we're here at this convention, obviously. Have you done any other science fiction sort of thing? This is the first. Yeah. yeah. Is this your first convention? Well, I went to Comic Con last year with Jason Statham. Um, Crank. I went. I think. I don't know if he spoke on the panel, but I was there for his birthday. Okay. Yeah, and I think he had something to do there, so we hung out and had a good time. And all the guys from Crank were there. He's a good actor. He's a blast. He's a great guy. Great actor. Fun to be around. He's just a, a guy's guy. I spent Fourth of July with him and, and Vinny Jones and Slash and Mike Judge. Oh wow. Yeah, I got extract coming out with Mike Judge. Okay. All right. Yeah. Extract. Extract. Like extract? a like a, a vanilla extract okay. company. Right. And that's where I work at. I work in a warehouse. Um, where I get one of my balls blown off. No. No. Yeah. Mike Judge. He's friggin' a comedic genius. Speaking of blue collar. I like Beavis and Butthead. Are you kidding? I love Beavis and Butthead. You'd be amazed. We'd come out of a, a bar, or a restaurant, and people would know who he was. And he's such a, a humble, just a, a humble, giving individual. You know, like. Can you, can you give me an autograph or do, you know, Beavis? And he'll, like, sit there and grab a piece of paper and just draw Beavis. And while he's talking like Beavis and, and sign it to him, he's just, he's like, he's that great of a guy. He's, now, did you have to do a lot of voice work to become a Romulan? Voice work? Yeah. Um, we did, um, I, I, I found a, I found a, a tonality for him. Um, but also there was uh, a Romulan dialect, which was written for the film. Okay. And is that, is that based then on the, you would know this, Miles, is that based on the way Romulan spoke in the show? Well, we didn't see any Romulan dialects. Uh, you do, you do hear something in it. You, you, uh, you hear me say prodniro, which means... Okay. Captain Nero. Okay. It, they had a linguist come in and write and create this this uh, language. So it's very. That took some work, and, and learning that would be like the equivalent of me learning, you know, like the German monologue that I learned for Spielberg for Saving Private Ryan. Well, you weren't Saving Private Ryan. No, I was not. I wish I was. I tried real hard. But I got to tell you, it was really fun preparing that role and, and researching and checking out my facts and details and history and 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 learning, you know, the you know, special classes on the group and all the things in the group and. Und ich hatte Abstand, fand eine kleine halbe Meile, da ist eine Steinbrecke, vermeidet diese, sie ist vermint. Find in dein Versteck bis zur Dunkelheit, dann geht es nicht. Yeah, it's... Uh, We're going to get this back and it's going to be an entire list of cussing that he just did here. No, it's like he talks about the, the stone bridge and don't, don't cross until nighttime because the, the Germans are there. Your Dunkel Heights nighttime. Like when you study a monologue to the when you study to the degree that I studied it, which is over the course of three days a nonstop, you know, listening to Marco Hoschneider speak these words, you you try to find things to keep your interest. Like what aside from wanting to work with the great Spielberg, you know, you uh, you try to find things to keep your interest in. One of them was learning what these words meant. 
you know, so, and also, and it helps to provide the, the emphasis on the meaning, you know, which and also in turn I had to study, you know, how the Germans spoke because the emphasis on their words aren't the same as Americans, right. so that kind of thing. Now, um, were there any moments on the Star Trek set, any memorable moments, any funny moments that you can share? Some long hours. I mean, eighteen-hour days. It's uh, trying to think. How many days of filming for you? I couldn't tell you, man. I want to say probably about mm, about a month and a half, two months. Okay. Yeah, I think because I think Pine was on it like five months. Okay. But as far as memorable moments, anything funny happened? Because, you know, it's, when you're on a set for 18 did actually, hours... Did you actually kick Chris Pine at all? Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you always find things to do that are fun. You know, JJ likes to beatbox on the on the microphone, you know, for long hours. He'll do prank phone calls on the phone, you know, like the Jerky Boys. You know, he's a funny guy. Uh, just anything to keep... You know, Eric Bana's hilarious. <laughs> Eric Bana's funny, so... God, I'm trying to. Th I know there is. You put me on the spot. I mean, when you wait those kind of hours, it's like it's a big blur. Oh, I'll bet. I'll you just bet. can't. You don't know if you're coming or going or who's on third. Or now, 18 hours. Does that include your makeup or is that in addition? That's, incl that's including yeah. makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Say, if that's in addition, when do you sleep? Yeah, we. we you had. You know. You, I, fortunately, I live close to Paramount, so I'd get home in 15 minutes or so, 10, and literally just. Uh, you crash out, you'd wake up, and like, I gotta be at work an hour. <laughs> like, you were so exhausted. We had nine hour turnaround, which means that you have nine hours of rest before going back to work. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. Did you grow up watching science fiction at all? I mean, I just watched movies that I just enjoyed. You know, if it happened to be science fiction, then so be it. You know, I loved Star Wars as a kid. You know, um, I loved, uh, like, The Dark Crystal. You know, um, gosh, I'm trying to think what else was fun. You know, some of the other stuff that you watch when you're a kid. Yeah, I The Narada, the interior of the Narada, like almost a death trap. I mean, did anybody get hurt on the set? I mean, just I mean, there was a lot of uh, liquids and stuff. You can slide around. You know, you have to be careful. You know, but but also the Narada being our ship, it's it's also a ship I wanted to become very familiar with. In that I wanted to constantly be, um, you know, constantly be. I wanted to know where the pitfalls were. I wanted to know where the, the dangers were, so I knew when I could run and when I couldn't. Because you know, you'd run and slide. I mean, your character took a sort of a swan dive after he got shot. Off the edge? Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> it was. Now, how far did it actually let you fall? I fell pretty far. Yeah, I want you to fall three stories. Um, no, I felt like probably about, I was like, you know, maybe 15 feet. Anything else? All right, well, thank you so much. Totally, man. Well, welcome back. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Clifton Collins. We know that we thoroughly enjoyed interviewing him and finding out what he was thinking. And uh, you'll hear that, of course, some of the Klingon scenes that he was 
Uh, the prison scenes, of course, are in the extras, as we talked about in the last podcast. And he was theorizing they were probably going to be a part of the DVD then. And um, anyways, we were excited to interview him, and we we're really glad that we were able to bring him to you and share him with you. Before we go, we want to share with you the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. We started this two podcasts ago, took a break because of Star Trek last week, and now we're back, and Miles gave his last week, and I'm going to give you my Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and I'm doing the five worst hairdos in science fiction. Now, I'm going to start with number five and work my way down. Number five is a really recent movie, Bruce Willis and his haircut um, in Surrogates as Tom Greer. Mm. No argument there. Yeah, no argument there. He looks, he's a much sexier man without hair, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Marina Sirtis as Counselor Troy in Star Trek Next Generation, especially in season one, as Miles and I were talking a little bit earlier. She really had too much hair. Uh, you didn't find that, that tight bun attractive? Uh, absolutely not. Not at all. <laughs> uh, nor did I find Sean Connery as number three in his codpiece attractive in as Zed in Zardoz. This movie came out in 1974, if you aren't familiar with it. And he sported, he was practically naked except for the codpiece, and he sported this really long ponytail, braided ponytail that was just god-awful. Uh, number two, John Travolta as Terrell in Battlefield Earth. Did you ever see Battlefield Earth, Miles? My- I don't think you did. Uh, I didn't. I-, I heard it got panned. Yeah, well, all you had to do was look at the the, uh, the footage, the, the, the photography, and you saw John Travolta's hair and how bad it was. And last but not least, number one from Fifth Element, Chris Tucker as Ruby Road, Road Rod, Ruby Rod or something like that. Uh, and his little, you know, spike in his hair was just absolutely awful. Anyways, these are the five worst hairdos in science fiction. And um, if you want to share your five and five, uh, send us an audio clip. You can do that via just, you know, send it through Twitter. You can uh, attach it as an MP3 to an email. You can call it in on our listener line at 1-888-508-4343. And we would love to share your five, your, 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 your five favorite science fiction movies, your books, television shows, our worst five or you know best five spaceships what or droids whatever you want to tell us about science fiction we'll play them at the end of the show as we get them as always you can find out much more about what we do you can find out ways to support us on the sci-fi diner podcast you can just visit our website sci-fi diner podcast.com you can visit our store as we mentioned before my sci-fi store.com and Miles, we are on Twitter, the Sci-Fi Diner, and you're on Twitter, Miles. I am uh, Son of War for Twitter. Son of War for Twitter, and you can find him also on Trek Space under the same name. True. And uh, we, of course, have our Sci-Fi Diner fan page. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. And my Twitter handle, Herzog H E R T Z O G. We already gave you our email, but just for redundancy, Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com. And the phone number we gave you before. So I believe that's about it, Miles. Okay, well, till then, uh, good night and good luck. We will see ya.